Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, it is a mere 11.06pm, and here we all are, myself, David and Matt at Tennis Podcast Towers Paris, where we have just discovered we have an Eiffel Tower view. Do we? Yeah. Turn around, David. Well, well and, David and, actually and, can't well, see hang it on. From Turn there. your hand and, uh, around and crane your neck quite considerably. <laughs> where am I and looking? You'll be looking at the Eiffel Tower. Oh, good. I'll have a look later when I can do it properly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've spent a considerable time in this flat and... I've never noticed that, which will probably tell you something about the view of the Eiffel Tower that we do have. I would say it's restricted, mm. but it's the Eiffel Tower. If this were a theatre, you would the the tickets would be you, discounted. You'd be hoping for a considerable discount. Yeah, but it's there, and it just confirms that we are in Paris. Hey, <laughs> and we've just watched a full day's play haven't we at Roland Garros before we get into it all I'll tell you that this edition of the tennis podcast is sponsored by Wilson who are the providers of the official ball of Roland Garros the Wilson Roland Garros tennis ball is designed specifically for the famous clay courts of Roland Garros boasting a core designed for longer rallies uh, I was, aren't the cores isn't it air in the core is I, it really great I, air yeah Yes, but there's other stuff other too. Other stuff, great. It's the it's the best of the best. Other stuff, and a felt that limits moisture and dirt pickup for peak consistency during grueling points. Weren't many of those for Denis Shapovalov. Uh, the Wilson Roland Garros ball produces performance fit for the zenith of the clay court season. In addition to equipment provided for the tournament, Wilson and the FFT have a range of co-branded premium Wilson Roland Garros products that combine elegance and high performance, including tennis balls, rackets, strings, tennis bags and accessories. And we can offer an amazing prize package for two tennis podcast listeners, which includes one Roland Garros bag for nine rackets. Wow, like a proper player. Yeah, look, if you're a club player and you're taking nine rackets onto court... You're cool. Yeah, that wasn't how I was going to end that (laughs) sentence, but okay. (laughs) One Roland Garros edition racket, either a Blade 98 or a Clash 100. One pack of Luxilon Roland Garros string, which my dad describes as the Rolls-Royce of tennis string. He knows. And two cans of Roland Garros clay court balls, which, as previously discussed, have been specifically designed for the zenith of the clay court season. So to be in with the chance of winning this amazing pack of Wilson gear, click the link in our show notes or the link in tomorrow's newsletter. And good luck. Got to be in it to win it, folks. Now... On to the tennis. We lost a major seed today. We lost the third seed in the women's draw. Jessica Pagula is out 6-1, 6-3 to Elisa Mertens. It was a limp, toothless performance from Pagula. Reminiscent, actually, Matt reminded me of this while we were watching it. Reminiscent of her match against Victoria Azarenka in, in Paris, which we had so bigged up. In, in Melbourne in Melbourne rather and we you know we talk about Pagula is the player that 
delivers for you. you know she doesn't let you down she plays to a seeding she might hit a ceiling but she won't throw in a stinker of a performance and actually at the last two slams now she has thrown in bad performances this was really poor from Pagula today Matt yeah and I think the reason that that match in Melbourne came to mind more than anything was was just sort of looking at Pagula's body language and it was it was pretty negative I remember that being a a real feature of that match against Azarenka at the Australian Open and that was the case today you know she was kind of sulking a little bit and I guess there should be some important context for this in that uh, she had suffered from some food poisoning pre-tournament, which she spoke about in terms of really sort of uh, ruining her preparation for this tournament. An an escargot-related ailment, which is (laughs) very, very Paris. Yes, and she said it it, it made her not want to eat out, which is, uh, you know... Very unfortunate. That's that's one of the great great things to be able to do in Paris. I, I believe those quotes were to Jonathan Dreco on on BBC Sport. Uh, she also had a bad head to head against Elise Mertens. It was actually two and zero to Elise Mertens. And honestly, I didn't even consider that when thinking about what would happen in this match. I didn't even think, oh, what's the head to head between Pagula and Mertens? Such was my confidence in Pagula, you know, for all the reasons you just you just said. But kind of as the match started, Pagula was flat and Mertens was was on it, you know, playing really, really well, uh, aggressive, occasionally mixing in some loopier shots, throwing in some drop shots herself. Pagula was struggling to hit through Mertens and ended up using the drop shot a lot herself, which had very mixed success, generally didn't work too well. Uh, and yeah, honestly, Mertens outplayed Jessica Bagula today and it wasn't a close match. There was a, a key game in in the second set where Mertens saved a lot of break points at 4-3. Once she did that, she then broke to win the match. And yeah, it's, it, it's definitely disappointing for Bagula with some... I wouldn't say an asterisk. I, I still think she could have come through this match... Uh, but some explanation in terms of her preparation, I suppose, for this tournament. Yeah, it was funny seeing Elisa Mertens being the far more aggressive player. You know, Pagula looked like just just looked listless. Like, what, what are you, what are you trying to do out there? How do you expect to win a tennis match playing like this? She made Elisa Mertens look like Carlos Alcaraz. You know, like a sort of hungry, aggressive winner machine. Um, but yeah, the, the context is important, and she's a she's very sporting Pagula, so it might be that that disrupted preparation has been affecting her over the last week more than more than she's she's led on. But yeah, it, it was for for somebody that had picked Pagula in their daily prediction today as a ship steadier due to a, a poor recent run of form. It was a disappointing performance. Mm. Well, if, if it helps, mine's equally poor. Uh, and I keep going for the players that I've picked to get into the quarterfinals and three in a row have lost in three days. So, uh, you know. Look, tennis players let you down, David. Yeah, yeah they do. Yeah. <laughs> can, we can only rely on each other, can't we? And, and our listeners, these tennis players. Yeah. Anyway. Here, here. Uh, second on to Philippe Chatchier today was the second seed, Arena Sabalenka. And she was impressive again, although I'd say, again, not hugely tested against Anna Rakimova. Certainly Rakimova. I'm confident of the Rakimova. I'm not confident of the Anna. Camilla. Cam- Camilla. Camilla Rakimova, I knew, I knew it. Um, but yeah, she, look, she she's looked she's looked right on a game as has Arena Sabalenka. Next up is Sloane Stevens for her, which is going to be a far bigger test, or I certainly hope it'll be a far bigger test and a match that I absolutely cannot wait for. And, and this is the sign of the progress that Sabalenka has made. I mean, she'd never been past this round at Roland Garros before, and now she's done it without dropping a set. Like, she's a way better player 
overall than she was uh, this time a year ago, I think. And she's managed to translate that into the first week of Roland Garros. Whether she can carry it on and, you know, beat bigger, better players in in the second week remains to be seen. Uh, But I think this is already a sign that she's better on this surface now and just, just because she's better overall, I would say. She's definitely better overall. I would say she has had a very comfy draw. Marta Kostyuk is a good player in the first round, but the next two rounds, yeah, they they the second round was Shimanova, I think it was. It was Shimanovic. Shimanovic. Uh, she she played quite well, but still, that is a one heck of a good draw. This yeah. is a good draw. Sloane Stevens is the test. If if the Sloane Stevens who is starting to remind us of, of the woman who got to the final here and very, very nearly won this title, turns up in that match, then it's going to require the absolute best of Sabalenka because Stevens is, is the more comfortable and more uh, attuned to the surface. She's natural on it. Sabalenka's not. She'll test her movement. Won't yes, she on the she'll, clay. she'll move her out wide. And yeah, the way Stevens works works a tennis ball around the court is incredible. I watched quite a lot of her match against Yulia Putin Saver today, and she looked, you know, she looked like she was purring in the opening set, and then dropped the second, and went a breakdown at the in the early stages of the third. And I was worried that she didn't look like she had the stomach for for the fight. You know, the very specific kind of fight that Yulia. Putin Saver brings to the backyard. It's scrappy stuff, isn't it? And I was worried that Sloane just, yeah, didn't have the appetite for it. And she dug her heels in. She really dug her heels in and and showed something today. And I'm wary. I'm wary of getting carried away and going, wow, this is 2018 Sloane Stevens. Because looking up the stats, this is her ninth time into the fourth round at Roland Garros. She does do this. A lot. And of course, you know, she's only been to the final once. So actually, this is, you know, this is, isn't out of the blue and necessarily a God, Sloane Stevens is back and having one of her rare moments. Yeah. But equally, the tennis does look good. Yeah, I've, I've definitely been here before with Sloane Stevens yeah. thinking, oh. If she, if she beats Sabalenka, though, I think she would have a real chance of going all the way. Yeah, I, I, I think I would agree with that. I mean, she said that Roland Garros is the time to play. You know, she she shows up for this tournament. Um, and I have to say thanks to our colleague, Tamani Carriol, for doing the, doing the Lord's work and putting a great former quote that Stevens had about playing Putin Saver back to Sloane Stevens herself. I love that. Uh, because I think it was a match they played in Cincinnati a few years ago. And Stephen said that when you play Putin Saver, if it's not one scam, it's another. <laughs> 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 and uh, and and said, someone once said playing <laughs> playing Putin Saver, if it's not one scam, it's another. And Stephen said, yeah, and you saw it today, right? <laughs> but it didn't work too well, she said. And Stephen's was was pleased with herself for the focus that that. Mm. She displayed and not worrying about the other end of the court, focusing on herself after going breakdown at the start of that third set. She quickly uh, refocused and, as always with Sen Stevens, when when it was working and when she was playing well, it it looked really good. Uh, but I'm I'm just fascinated by that matchup against Sabalenka. Does Stevens' experience on this surface, her know-how? Does it trump Sabalenka's form this year and her general confidence? I, I, I find it a tough one to call. I think I would probably lean Sabalenka just because of everything we've seen from her this year. And I think Sabalenka's top level in 2023 is probably... I don't know whether it's higher than St. Stephen's or she's more likely to find it. I think, I think probably both. Uh, but... Stevens is going to be a real test for Sabalenka. You're right, David, because it's it's been a good draw for Sabalenka. Her, her previous her previous losses at Roland Garros in the last few years have been Georgie Pavlyuchenkova, Jabir, Anisimova, Burton's. 
you know, all good players, all much better calibre than the players she's she's played so far. Three and zero head to head against Sloane Stevens for, for Sabalenka. For Sabalenka, That's yeah. I mean, I don't think on clay there's one um, there's one Fed Cup as it was Billie Jean King Cup match uh, listed from 2017, which doesn't say the surface. So I, I, I'm not. Oh no, it does. It's hard court. So all three meetings on hard court. The most recent in San Diego last year, one six two in the third by Sabalenka. Uh, I am definitely. I mean, I, I've gone for Stevens to reach the quarters, and I will stick with that. I think the comfort on the surface will be the prevailing factor. Can't wait to see that match. I'm really here for it. Now, <laughs> there is, there is uh, post match business once again to discuss pertaining to Irina Sabalenka after what happened in her post-match press conference two days ago uh, that we detailed on this podcast which was a very uncomfortable exchange or certainly what developed into a very uncomfortable tense exchange between Sabalenka and a Ukrainian journalist in her post-match press conference after today's match no press time was given and after a couple of hours, people started sort of realising that Sabalenka hadn't shown up for press and no time had been given for her and starting sort of raising eyebrows and asking questions. And then mysteriously, out of the blue, a transcript, a press conference transcript appeared on the media portal. And uh, there were a handful of questions about the match. And before that, the transcript began like this. The question was, Arena, thanks for doing this press conference. Before we start, I know there was a tense situation in your second round press conference and if you wanted to address it at all. Arena Sabalenka said, yeah. After my match, I spoke with the media like I normally do. I know they still expect some questions that are more about the politics and not so much about my tennis. For many months now, I have answered these questions at tournaments and been very clear in my feelings and my thoughts. These questions do not bother me after my matches. I know that I have to provide answers to the media on things not related to my tennis or my matches. But on Wednesday, I did not feel safe in press conference. I should be able to feel safe when I do interviews with the journalists after my matches. For my own mental health and well-being, I have decided to take myself out of this situation today. And the tournament has supported me in this decision. It hasn't been an easy few days. And now my focus is to continue to play well here in Paris. Now, there's kind of two separate issues at play here. There's, There's Sabalenka electing not to do a press conference on the grounds of how she felt two days ago and concerns for her mental health. And then there's the handling of her decision not to do a press conference and the fact that this emerged labelled as a press conference on the media portal when nobody had been alerted to the fact that a press conference was happening and quite extensive detective-like investigations started happening, swirling around me and Matt in the media room today. Troops of people disappeared off to make inquiries with the FFT and with the WTA. And eventually it emerged after these investigations, and this is from the Times tennis correspondent Stu Fraser on his, his Twitter. He says, despite being referred to as a press conference, it wasn't. It was a pooled interview with a hand-picked group of WTA and Roland Garros staff members, of which only one asked questions. Now, why is that important? A lot of people might think that is um, neither here nor there. She sat in a room, she was asked questions, that transcript was available to the media. Well, there is a difference between independent journalism and a hand-picked group of WTA and Roland Garros staff members. doesn't mean they're not doing good and important work but there is a distinction and that distinction is incredibly important and shouldn't be eroded and it it feels at risk of erosion in the current climate doesn't it and it feels like an important principle to maintain yeah when we had the situation with Naomi Osaka a couple of years ago when she announced on the eve of the tournament that she wasn't going to do any press conferences 
And then that escalated and snowballed and she was getting fined and fined again and fined again. And eventually statements were put out and then she just withdrew from the tournament. That went too far and ended up being a lose for everybody. And as a result of that, a an understanding has come in that they won't force players if they're feeling really bad to do every single press conference. Now, the vast majority of players that I've seen asked to go to press conferences ever since then have done them. It's been just a, one or two, really, that, are, that have cited mental health concerns or feeling bad, and, they, and they've been let off. And sometimes, you know, there are human beings in that, in that press room. We are not ogres. They're, everybody's decent, pretty much, around us, that I, certainly everybody around us that I know. And to me, the way to have done this, as as with Osaka, to de-escalate that situation back then would have been, yes, to, to have one or two go in to see her on behalf of everybody else, but the journalists, not the staff, not the PR staff. That is a distinction, you're right. And, okay, where do you go from here? I mean, I think that's one thing. The second thing is... I think now she should try to come back into the media room after the next match. I do, I do sympathise with her how she how she felt, um, and I don't like to just sort of force people if they're feeling terrible to do stuff. I'm not sure how much anybody gets out of it, but then there is a degree to which you know that in itself is is interesting to see and talk about. Um, I hope that she's back for the next one. Yeah, it was a strange few hours, wasn't it, Matt, in that media centre while while detective workings were <laughs> yeah were, were swirling around us. Yeah, it was. I felt like quite a good solution that they'd come up with. Um, I absolutely take your point that it would have been better to have independent journalists rather than uh, Roland Garros staff or WTA staff do that interview. I think the most important thing, though, was that they needed to just be upfront about what they were doing. Absolutely. And Mm. and I've been in that position before where a player has just is feeling terrible and I've just gone to the journalist and I've said, would you mind if we just got some quotes to some of your questions rather than having to go through the whole thing. And and depends what the situation is. But very often the journalists will say, oh, yeah, that's fine. There's no need mm. to... And, and it's but, not that unusual for for a player to skip a press conference either on completely legit, you know, mental health grounds or whatever or to just say, I don't want to come and I'm taking the fine. Venus Williams, I'm looking at you. I, I, <laughs> and, I had and, my... for, and for the communications manager from either the ATP or WTA to to get some quotes that they will mm. then distribute. The point is advertising those those quotes as a press conference. A press conference is something where independent journalists participate. And I'm sure there's lots of people listening that are thinking, oh, that's just sort of procedural behind-the-scenes stuff that doesn't matter. But independent journalism does matter yeah uh, and you've got to be very you know, careful we, with it yeah we yeah. want to defend it but, but by, the, by the way uh, i did have two players turn me down for press conferences when i was at the atp as a communications manager one was goran Ivanisevic, who literally walked off the court and towards a car at which i intercepted him and i said goran you need to come to a press conference and he just said no and he just carried on walking and i said goran and he goes no and he got in the car and off he went and he was fine <laughs> um <laughs> Mark Philippoussis told me, get out of my face, when I asked him. And Mark is a lovely bloke, the, the vast majority of the times. And I left him a bit, and then I called him in his hotel room, and I said, Mark, you're going to come back to do the press conference? And he just slammed the phone down. And I didn't see him again for about six weeks. And I saw him at Queen's, and I said, uh, hi, Mark. And he goes, oh, I'm so sorry about what I did. But just so that you know, after I hung up, I, I, I trashed my hotel room. <laughs> so, okay. 
People and, get and angry then probably called up, called reception and apologised for trashing his hotel room. I'm quite sure, because he's a lovely chap. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when David's able to provide anecdotes to, you know, mm. things that are happening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was the communication of this yeah. which was bad. I, I, I felt like the actual solution was good. I didn't think... You know, I think it was it was good to um, to protect Sabalenka. She's still in the tournament. It's it was good to provide some quotes to the media. You know, there were and there were questions in there about the match, and you know, there was quite a detailed transcript. There was a, you know a lot of questions were asked. I think people were just put out of joint by the fact that. It was also secretive, and, yeah. and and no one really quite knew what to trust. And as you said, calling it a press conference is problematic because it's not. And at a time when more and more media is becoming in-house, mm. if if you're calling in-house media a press conference, you're setting a precedent there, which is dangerous. Dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. Just before we move on to part two of the show and the the results in the men's draw today. A couple of players uh, in the women's draw that I just wanted to highlight who won today because I just think the draw is so much better for them being in it. And that's uh, Daria Kazakina and Karolina Mukova. They just sort of... How well are they playing? Sprinkle colour on a draw oh. somehow, don't they? Kazakina, uh, a class apart against um, NCAA champion, college champion Peyton Stearns today um we all thought this might be an interesting match didn't we because of the contrast of styles Kazakina with all her her tools and Peyton Stearns with that sort of dogged baseline game but actually she was a class apart Kazakina here and it occurred to me that you probably just don't get players like Daria Kazakina on the on the US college scene she'd probably never faced anything like that and on a big clay court as well where it's slow and she's got time to create and she's got a big court surround which makes her able to create even more angles and depth and all those sort of things yeah probably her worst nightmare I'd have thought and um it is Alina Svitolina up next for Kazakina good match Svitolina needed three sets to beat Anna Blinkova today which was of course a um a replay of the Strasbourg final with with the same result uh, so the incredible Svitolina story keeps on rolling. And, of course, Kazakina is the Russian player who has been most outspoke, outspoken in opposition to Russia's illegal war in Ukraine. And Svitolina was asked about that in press today. And she wasn't effusive. You know, she doesn't want to detract any attention from Ukraine and Ukrainians because, as we've heard from her, they're the ones that need the help and support. But she did say, I'm thankful to Dasha for taking that position, that's very brave from her. You know, she sees it and she gets it, and I like that. Um, and just on Karolina Mukovic, didn't get to see too much of this uh, this evening. She was playing on Simone Mathieu against Arena Camelia Begu, but I was following it via Hannah's tweets, and she was just, I mean, she's fit, first and foremost, and therefore she was good, Six three, six two. I just love to see it. I really love to see it. I saw some of that out of the corner of my eye whilst watching the centre court out of our commentary box and we got it on a monitor. She just looks what she's never looked in terms of being fit. And and therefore she looks like a a really like a going concern as a tennis player. <laughs> I, I'm looking at her and I'm thinking, finally I think we're gonna find out how good she is. Because I used to mention Rabakina and Mukova in the same sentence all the time because they came along at the same time. They were both talked about. You get you get these sort of tips, really, from, from ex-players or coaches who've seen these players. And she, she was talked about so much. I remember Ash Barty raving about Karen and Mukova because she was her kind of player, you know, and a, a jock, as she said she called her. And, I, and therefore, she's a good watch. Who's she got next? I mean, I can't remember. Well, I was hoping you wouldn't ask that, David, because it's somebody whose name I have to look up every time because I hadn't heard of her before this week. 
and she's unexpectedly into the fourth round of a slam. She beat your prediction today, oh, David. That was not uh, a good it, moment for me. No offence to her. And it was a really emotional scene. I watched her beat Clara Towson today, obviously, because I was following every single move of Clara Towson because I was hoping she'd win, help my predictions. Um, but it was really moving to see how much it meant to her. And, you know, and she just outlasted Towson. Yes, it's Alina Avanesayan. Yep. The lucky loser. Uh, she's the fifth lucky loser to make the last 16 of a woman's slam in the open era. And the first, wow. since, the first since 1993. And, and the open era is 68. Mm-hmm. So we're talking, what's that, 55 years? Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, extraordinary. This isn't it? does not happen very often. And that, yeah. I mean, you know, that is life changing money and points, progress. A lucky loser. So she's been in qualifying and lost. And yet here she is in the last 16. That's amazing. Yeah, she lost to um, Kayla Day. In oh, qualifying, yeah. Who's still in the draw? Who's still in the draw. And that was 7 6 in the third. I heard Pat Cash talking about Kayla Day on the radio he's, yesterday. He's he's a, he, he's coaching her. He is, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really interesting to hear. <laughs> he said that when he first practiced with her, she just asked him, "Can you practice with me and tell me what you think of my game?" And he he, he said, "Okay," and he told her what he thought, and she wasn't very happy about it because it was really critical. And then um, and then a, f- a few weeks later, he said she. She didn't have very good results, and she just called him out of the blue and said, okay, what you saw, we need to do something about it, if you don't mind. <laughs> so he came and coached her. Wow. That actually says quite a lot about Day. I she think. sounded that great she's, in the interview she's prepared I heard. to have someone on her team who's telling her the things she needs to hear. Well, she, she and Pat was saying, um, and, and actually she was saying that she just never experienced the type of things he was getting a to think about in terms of movement and it was just a complete change to what she'd been doing i mean she's she's been hit by the pandemic and injuries and she was promising four or five years ago and then just went off the radar completely and is a left-hander and suddenly it's i mean pat said he had no expectations of her having a run like this this quickly it's really a, a surprise a pleasant surprise but he said she's doing really well Looks very good for Pat Cash's coaching CV, that, doesn't it? Well, I, do, I do think it does, yeah. And I do think he's a good coach. I, th- I've, I think he's he gets players thinking differently. I mean, Coco Vanderwey had some great results under him. Just before we move on to the men's draw, just to pick up on a, on a player you mentioned there, Svitolina. I mean, that match today against Blinkova, I think, was probably the most absorbing match of the day in, in terms of... Uh, just how how close it was, you know. The Strasbourg final was was a bit of a blowout. It was easy for for Svitolina. This was anything but, and and the heart on display from both players towards the end was incredible. Uh, Blinkova broke Svitolina when she was serving for the match, then Svitolina broke back and finished it with this incredible backhand down the line. And it wasn't it wasn't the really aggressive Svitolina that we'd been talking about and the sort of transformation that we'd seen in the last few rounds, it was back to kind of Elena Svitolina doing what she always used to do and as we know her. And I thought Hannah put it brilliantly on Twitter saying that she hadn't really realised that she'd missed Svitolina. She, you know, she maybe hadn't thought that much about her over the last year or so in terms of tennis but actually realize, you know, watching her today, deeply sort of just appreciating how mm. good she can be and what she can bring to a tennis court. It's, it's an amazing run. Yeah, it, it's a great story. And I'm so up for Svitolina Kazakina. That's, that's a great matchup. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello tennis podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Now, on to the men's draw and the matches that we've seen today just before we dig into it all. Uh, your second reminder of the day, this one, about our sponsors throughout Roland Garros, which are on location. Uh, the premium hospitality and experience provider. Honestly, if you don't know that by now. What have you been doing? <laughs> what have you been doing? <laughs> on location is the official tour operator for the BMP Paribas Open at Indian Wells in March. And we can tell you that their packages via Steve Fogel's International Tennis Tours are now on sale for Indian Wells. And we had someone contact us, didn't didn't we? Saying, we've bought our package. Yeah. Yeah, so they're, they're flying off the shelves, folks. Get in there quick. If you would like to go to Indian Wells in style and experience one of the most spectacular settings to watch professional tennis and... We really do mean that. It is incredible. You'll be staying in a four or five star accommodation, getting great tickets to watch the tennis and access to a hospitality suite to relax in in between matches. Just go to toursfortennis.com forward slash podcast tours, the number four tennis.com forward slash podcast and go to the welcome to paradise section. That makes me just immediately smile thinking of the welcome to paradise. Mm, Yeah. Palm trees galore. Now, Carlos Alcaraz, the Indian Wells champion, dismissed Denis Shapovalov today. 6-1, I mean, I think that's a flattering scoreline for Denis Shapovalov, quite honestly. I thought this was awkward in its mismatch. What do mm. you think, David? Uh, well, if you consider that, I don't even think Alcaraz was at his best. He 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 was good in the first set, very good. Um, and he was really, really good when he was 4-1 down in the second set. I mean, that's quite a deficit. And and if you consider he, he dropped a set against Tara Daniel a couple of days ago, I thought we were going the same direction. And Shapovalov might be able to start riding a wave at that point. And then suddenly there was this moment where you realized Alcaraz has just knuckled down again. That's the difference between him and a year ago. He knuckles down. That's the tennis I think Ferrero wants him playing more often. He loves the the fireworks, does Carlos Alcaraz. But at the same time, I also think he's starting to appreciate the sort of blue-collar work that also goes into winning tennis matches. And and he stopped trying to hit show-stopping one-shot winners. And he started to build rallies and grind Shapovalov down and he put a combination together to win five games in a row and I think that that was the most impressive part of the match and the part that makes me think that he's ready is it's the biggest difference between Alcaraz from a year ago and now it's also the biggest difference between Alcaraz and Shapovalov I think yeah and, who is still kind of Alcaraz a year ago when he was only a kid and, and trying I mean, to go for fireworks all the time yeah and not as good as that yeah <laughs> Uh, 
yeah, I mean, it's just two two totally different categories of player. I think Shapovalov and and Alcaraz. I mean, Alcaraz is a serious Grand Slam contender, very possibly the best player in the world, and Shapovalov is is a shot maker. And I, I find it particularly interesting watching Shapovalov on clay because. There's an element to the surface there which I keep thinking should really help Denis Shapovalov in that he needs time on the ball, I think, because he's got these big, elaborate swings, which he's always had and has has never really looked to uh, sort of change or anything. And that's fine. Maybe that's just the way he plays. So I sort of think Clay should help him in that in that respect. But give Shapovalov time, and that means that he has to make decisions and he so often just makes a bad choice a ba- bad shot selection just is what i associate with Denis Shapovalov unfortunately and we were talking about this and Catherine pointed out that actually his best slam has been Wimbledon where he reached the semi-finals and it it was almost like he didn't have to think he just played and in, tried to impose himself and yeah it was an absolute beat down today from Alcaraz he's he's just so much better than Chapovalov yeah and for a lot of players that would be the sort of result that would cause soul searching but I don't you know I don't I don't know if Denis Chapovalov is is that guy and and if he's not and if he's happy to be where he is in the world and happy with his life then that's fine he doesn't owe us anything but if he if he wants more from his career then that match could be a wake-up call. Like, you, you need to not put that down to Alcaraz being brilliant because there was more going on there than Alcaraz being being brilliant. L- luckily, I've already I've already moved on from my <laughs> my hopeful Denis Shapovalov trying to make it happen phase. But if I was still in it, I would have found that performance really demoralising, really quite depressing. Mm. Yeah. I'd probably I'm probably more concerned by the other losses he's had this year because I I don't think of him anywhere near Alcaraz's level. Um I would like to see them play maybe on a on a grass court one day. I think that'd be interesting to see whether he could get any closer, but he just doesn't seem like a better tennis player than he was several years ago. If anything he he seems worse. There was a spell where he broke Alcraz early on, I think in the second set, playing really well, and Alcraz dropped off his level, and he hit two double faults immediately, and then he missed his first serve in the next one, so he's hit five faults in a row just after breaking serve, and then he wins that point, and then he double faulted again. It's just, it's just, and and the serves he got in, he hit the line with. He just can't trust his own serve and he was going for two first serves a lot of the time just he doesn't feel like a professional tennis player at the level that he should be mm. there's not there's not a, enough seriousness about him maybe maybe he's got the yips maybe that's maybe I'm being harsh but you you had Jamie Delgado in your team for for a month and a half or two months and you went and beat Alexander Zverev at the Australian Open and you looked good and mm. you pushed Rafael Nadal and then you stopped working with him before the next Grand Slam despite reaching the quarterfinals and now Jamie Delgado has gone and worked with Grigor Dimitrov and look what Dimitrov's doing he's tightened up his game I'm not saying that Jamie's the greatest coach of all time but he's, he's a pro he's a pro and he, he's been with Andy Murray he knows what what's required to be a professional and I'm afraid Dennis doesn't come across at least from afar as a real, true professional. Yeah, I think the opposite of what we were praising Kayla Day for in terms of hiring someone who's told you some hard truths is Denis Shapovalov having Peter Polanski as his coach for a while, as he did. Like, Isn't, That doesn't feel like a hard truth vibe, no, does it? it felt no. like a, a, a travelling mate. Yeah. Right. And fine, have a travelling mate. You know, life on tour is tough, but you know, if you, if you've got ambitions and aspirations of getting more from your game, then yeah, more is required. There was a moment 
there was a moment towards the end of the first set. It looked like it was going to be a six love first set and things were getting really awkward in the stadium. And then I think at five love, he, he got his first game on the board and he raised his hands to encourage, you know, the, the sympathetic applause from the stadium. And I just, my heart sank like, you're that guy now. You're the sympathy applause guy. It was a, it was a sad moment. Well, you know, hopefully, I mean, he still is talented. I just, I think he's got real flaws. Mm. Uh, when I look at that serve, that is a, a problem. Match of the day, though, guys. <laughs> Match of the day. <laughs> yeah. Novak Djokovic played the longest three-set match of his career. Really? Today. Not all of it was ball bouncing, but quite a lot of it was ball bouncing. But there was a lot of really thrilling tennis in here as well. Alejandro Davidovich Vakina, bless him. I, I'm not sure how brilliantly he's going to sleep tonight. But he he deserves a lot of credit, I think, for doing what what Martin Fuksovich failed to do a couple of nights ago, which was recover from the disappointment of getting so close in the opening set and not taking it because he then made the second set still extremely close. He hung with Novak Djokovic for a really, really long time, which not many are able to do, quite frankly. It didn't feel like a straight sets match, Mm. did it? Yeah, he had the ultimate Novak Djokovic opponent experience in that he went he went toe to toe with Djokovic for three hours in those first two sets and came away with nothing. And Djokovic didn't hit a single unforced error in either tiebreak. And if you extend that to the tournament as a whole, he's played four tiebreaks, one in the first round, one in the second round as well. He didn't hit any unforced errors in those either. He is incredible in tie breaks that's ridiculous it's he can be playing a pretty bad set of tennis by his standards can just scrape himself into a tie break and then just become a different player it's an it's an extraordinary skill yeah there's nothing new in that Novak Djokovic can manage the best of five set format better than anybody even when he's not playing that well and he wasn't playing well today in fact the first two sets he Really didn't look very good. From 5-3 up, he was 5-3 up in the first set, then he got broken. I'm going to just take a slightly different view of Davidovich Fikina. I think he he should have won at least one of those two first sets. He had enough chances, and and I think his record against players above him isn't good enough. He beats the players he's supposed to beat. Um, this year, that's that's what the record says, and and I love watching him. I think, and he seems like a great guy, and I really, I sort of pull for him. I find myself wanting him mm. to do well because I find him really good to watch. But when it really matters, the crunch moments, he didn't produce, and and I think that needs to be acknowledged. Yes, he was up against the great Novak Djokovic, but even so you're not going to get a better chance against Djokovic than that because that wasn't the real Novak Djokovic for a set and a half. I thought he struck up, struck upon quite a good tactic today, not just against Djokovic, but on these courts. And actually, we saw quite a lot of it in the match between Lorenzo Mazzetti and Cameron Norrie as well, which was, well, moonballing. I know that's mm. not, you know, reinventing the wheel on a clay court, but it made me think of what Daniel Medvedev said few days ago when he lost which was with these heavy balls on this surface it favors players who can generate easy power wristy players and Djokovic isn't an easy power player he is he's far more power than powerful than he used used to be and more powerful than he's perhaps given credit for he's not an underpowered player but he's not Carlos Alcaraz in the power department in the explosivity department and if he is carrying still a bit of a an elbow shoulder injury then generating power all by himself is going to be harder and is going to take more out of the the racket arm isn't it and it was working there and I and he seemed to back away from doing that once he got into the tie breaks Davidovic Fikina and maybe Djokovic denied him the opportunity to do it I don't know but 
and you know just the fact of being in a tie break with Djokovic must scramble your brain because everybody will know his tie break record and what a colossus he is in that situation but I think I agree with you David that there are some regrets there for Davidovich Fakina he had treatment to his left thigh Djokovic, Djokovic he, he did. kept stretching it out and smacking it with the tennis yeah, racket frame and he was asked about it after the match and he said on he said look with injuries the list is quite long but then he said there's nothing that's preventing him from playing so he didn't want to go into detail on anything but he said he's having to adjust to and this was his turn of phrase a new reality with his body he said it's responding differently than it did a few years ago and this was a sort of oh my God, he is human moment. Because I'm always struck by how little we talk about Djokovic's age. Like, he just seems completely ageless. Um, But, you know, he's 36 years old now. And kind of logically, of course, his body is responding differently than it used to. But the fact that he's only kind of just saying this for the first time at 36 is pretty ridiculous. I I do think it's maybe time to start factoring that into conversations about him. Roger Federer used to look like that, lithe and as if he never got injured. And then he did start to get Mm. injured. Rafael Nadal was the Australian Open champion and the French Open champion a year ago. And then he's just fallen apart physically since then. It's been a tough watch. It comes to them all. Mm. And look, I'm not saying that that means Djokovic is this, that or the other, but... It's now part of the conversation. It has to be. And he's wearing this patch thing on the centre of his chest, um, which was picked up on a, a couple of days ago and was picked up on again today. And he was asked about it by the Telegraph's Molly McElwee in the press conference. She she said it, it's something called a towel patch, which is wearable nanotechnology that combines acupuncture and light therapy. It contains a layer of nanocrystals which capture your body heat and convert it into impulses of very weak light, which is then emitted onto the specific points on your body. This light stimulates your central nervous system and enhances its communication with the rest of your body. And when asked about it, he said, I'm trying to be Iron Man. And it was all very weird and cryptic. Okay. Um, Kim Kleister's heard about that in our commentary box the other day. And when she saw it, she said, honestly... Players and fads. She, she says. <laughs> she said there was one one time when when somebody thought that wearing a certain kind of bracelet gave you more energy, and we were all wearing them. <laughs> I remember that bracelet phase, and cupping was really in a, a little while ago, wasn't it? I had, I got cupped. No, that didn't sound great. <laughs> <laughs> I did, but I don't even know <laughs> what that means. I had a physio do do cupping to do do some cupping on me. Okay. Yeah. I think that's better than I got cupped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it just just sort of left me with sort of bruised. Oh. Maybe it did long-term good. Who knows? I'll let you know, Doesn't folks. Sound great. But in the short term, I just felt like I'd been Assaulted. Okay, moving on. Uh, Stefanos Sitsipas was playing on Longlen while uh, Alcaraz was playing on Chatteret. Three sets for him over Schwartzman. I draw similarities for Sitsipas with Sabalenka. I think he's looked great so far. Really, really good. Much better than the first round, though. Like I yeah. think he's coming into some form. He looks yeah. good to me. And I think he's been, and this is what champions do, so this isn't necessarily a criticism, but I think he's used a kind-ish draw to to get out some gremlins and play himself into four. You know, I do Agreed. think he could have been vulnerable in those early few rounds had he had a tougher draw, but he didn't. And he's now in a decent position, I think, going into... Going into the second week, and he's got Sebastian Offner next, which, let's face it, you know, as well as he's done to reach the fourth round, continues to be a good draw for Sitsipas. Uh, P.S., by the way, it's Musetti next for Alcaraz. Mm. And that's a big yes 
please. Yeah, and just just a note. I mean, I, I hope I'm not jumping in too quickly here, but Lorenzo Massetti will not have an easier route through a match against a top 15 player than he had today against Cameron Norrie, who produced some of the worst tennis I've ever seen uh, for a player of that ranking. And I, I really felt for Cam Norrie. He couldn't find like the center of the racket a lot of the time. He was hitting rally balls out of the court, shanking. It, and he's so reliable. It's like Pagula. I always think of those two in the same breath. Just reliable. He couldn't play tennis for the vast majority of the match. And, I mean, he was asked about, about it by Russell Fuller, our BBC tennis correspondent, and he, he was at a loss. And he, was, and he said, that, that, that is not good enough, what, what I put out there today. And, and he was clearly just bereft. He didn't know why. I, and, I mean, he's had his knee wrapped up, but it was so jarring. He was 6-1, 6-2, two love down in about an hour and 15 minutes. He hit 49 on four stairs. This, this is a reliable baseliner. And he couldn't rally with the guy. He does lay these eggs sometimes, Norrie. I've never seen one that bad. No, perhaps not. Look, you saw a lot more of it than me. But, you know, Indian Wales quarterfinal, Francis Tiafo, massive egg laid. Who did he lose to at the Australian Open? Putting a bad performance there, I feel like. Rublev. Yeah, that yeah, that was a terrible, terrible... No, that was US Open last was year. It? Oh, OK. And Maybe that was, was... A, an egg laid. But this is... This was just next level. It was over so quickly, those first two sets. And mm. I just felt sorry for him. I mean, I, I, maybe he's overplayed. Who knows? I, have that. I can't give you the reasons, but it was a shocker. Anyone got any reasons for why Andre Rublev lost a two-set lead? Seven, five, six, love. He was leading Lorenzo Sonigo on long then. You guys both watched some of this, I think. What happened? Well, Sonigo is such a such a momentum player, such a role player. You know, like he's quite easy to beat. I think if if he's not got momentum, but he's very hard to stop once he's got it. And once the crowd are in with him, right? And and Rublev had had never lost from two sets up, and Sonigo had never lost, had never won from two sets down. So oh. this match sort of kind of felt over after two sets, but just a little spark from Sonigo. And as David said, suddenly everyone's pulling for him because they want a match. And he can make, he can make things happen. He, he's, he's, got, he's got an incredible forehand, which he, which he needs because his backhand is, is not up to much. But he, he just sits in, in that bit of the court and hits as many forehands as he possibly can. And as as soon as he gets that firing, he's he's very very hard to stop. And once he once he pushed it into a fifth set, there was just a completely crucial game at at two all where he held saving break points. And I always think if if you manage to come through a game like that, it gives you so much confidence and, and reason to think you can go on and win the match. And and he did. And look, kind of. Similar to Sinner yesterday, I, I suppose. Rublev, it felt like he played Sonigo into form a little bit as that match went on and, and didn't have anything to then stop that, you know, because Rublev, as we as we know, is a great player, but it's all pretty one-dimensional. And once Sonigo had, had got a grip of that match, it never really felt like he was going to let go of it. And it's Hashinov next for Sonigo, who beat Thanasi Kokonakis in four sets earlier on today. Hashinov, by the way, is is doing exactly what we always want players to do, in that he is stepping up at slams. Mm. Like he's a slam specialist. Like honestly, I don't think about Hashinov, and then you get to a slam, and he's reached the semis of the last two, mm. and now he's into the fourth round. You know, he'd be the favourite, I would have thought, against Sonigo. And Kokonakis was doing his absolute best to try and drag that match into a fifth set today. And Hatchinov, it. it was quite fangy. Stomped his big foot down, yeah. Right, the way he just ripped it from Kokonakis. Mm. And there was this incredible scene at the end where 
Hachinov won and sort of fell to his knees and simultaneously Kokonakis just collapsed onto his back. You know, it was a, it was a grueling, exhausting match. But Hachinov is is tough at these slams at the moment. And yeah, I kind of respect that. Yeah, you're right. He deserves credit there. It, Kokonakis did not, I know, heat of the moment and everything. And it was pretty heated battle out there. But he didn't cover himself in glory, Kokonakis. This chick's useless mate, among the things he said, directed at the female umpire. Katazina Radwan Cho, um, and look, don't love that. Uh, tomorrow's schedule is thus. Elena Rabakina against Cyrus Rebez Tormo first up on Chatre. Holger Runa against, uh, having to look up his first name, uh, Giulio Oliveri, Gennaro Oliveri. That's, that's the badger. Um, third on Chatre is Igor Svontek against Jin Yu Wong or Wong Jin Yu. And then the night session, Alex Verov against Francis Giaffo. I'm so tired. Zero for six. Starting to be, not starting to be, it now categorically is a real blight on our experience. Not that this is about us, but it's a real blight on our experience of this tournament. Like, I feel like it's weighing on us, this situation. And It, it is. Hmm. It's, it's, you always say this, Catherine, and Matt's just said it there. It's just so tiring. You yeah. Know, to, because any time you say anything about it, I mean, I say, every time I say anything about it on Twitter, you get a hundred replies of the sexists coming out with their market forces and, and their number of sets. And, not, and it's like, yes, there's a million reasons that could all be refuted. I don't, I'm not going to bother. Um, yeah, you're not only having to explain the situation, you're having to explain why it's wrong. Mm. But, um, um, and look, we've, for all of you saying, you know, you need to put the opposing viewpoint. We have requested Amelie Moresmo for interview four times mm-hmm. now. Only the first of those requests even have received a response. And we'll keep trying. We expect her to be put up um, for a general press conference like she was last year, but we haven't heard word of that when that will be. But any any opportunity to, to speak to her and trying to find out what on earth the thinking is here, we will be taking it. Um, and we are trying. Suzanne Longlin is uh, Zhang Zhizhen, who's a really good player. This could be tough for Kasper Ruud tomorrow, last year's finalist. And then the match... That absolutely, for me, should have been the match of the day, the night session match, and seen by as many people as possible. Mira Andreva against Coco Goff. That's second on Longland tomorrow. Then Francisco Rindlow against our new favourite player, Taylor Fritz. Uh, <laughs> and then, Isn't it going to be interesting to see what, oh, what it's like? I'm going to... I'm going to be there. <laughs> Olga Danilovic against Ons Jabur is last up on Longlen. Right, that is just about it. On to the very, very important formalities, starting with Phoebe, our lovely Roland Garros mascot. Hello, lovely Phoebe. We have our mascots, Maisie. Oh, Maisie. Come on. Inspire, Zenia. Inspire me. <laughs> Zenia, we've had a very Denis Shapovalovy flavour of form of late but but we're working on it matt's got darwin things are good in in darwin land uh billy jean is billy billy jean is sponsored by billy jean king and alana kloss and we have our top folks and executive producers jamie hannah and drew and matt we have shout outs we have lorna lamoth in flushing new york Ooh. Right, Lorna. What a great place to be, Lorna. Yeah, we're coming your way in a few months' time. Yeah, goodness me, wow. It's going to come around thick and fast, isn't it? Flushing. Mm, the Billie Jean King National Tennis Centre is located in her neighbourhood park, she says. Wow. Imagine being able to say that. And it recently hosted the Westminster Dog Show, didn't it? Lorna, did you go? Did you attend? Apparently they've, Let got, us know. they've got a nice golf course, Matt. That we should try oh. out, you know, get it, get out there, get our clubs out there. I, do you know, I always used to think Flushing Meadows sounded like the most exciting mm. and magical place before I went. 
And it still is, in a different way. <laughs> Thank you, Lorna. I thought you were about to diss where Lorna lives. <laughs> I mean, I think no. it sort of did. Thank you, Lorna. <laughs> We've also got Laura Myers from California. Right, Laura. I, f- I think we might have had Laura Myers before. But anyway, which which is great. Not, mm. yeah. Like Laura, Laura Robson, Robson. <laughs> who I was commentating with tonight. Or Laura Siegmund. Yes. She's still in the tournament. Very good gem player. Is she still in the don't tournament? Think so. Do you no. mean in the doubles? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't been following Laura Siegmund that closely, David. Could, could be the singles. No, don't think she's in either. Anyway, thank you, Laura. Cheers, Laura. And finally, we've got Anna Bendo, who is from Dublin, Ohio. Ooh. Ooh. Mm. I Anna d- says. I did not know there was a Dublin in Ohio. That uh, she loves going to the Cincinnati tournament. Hey. All right, Anna. Like Anna Blinkova. Yes. Mm. Anna Kornikova. Anna Ivanovich. I saw a few highlights of uh, a 1997 French Open match between Anna Kornikova and Martina Hingis for about two minutes this afternoon. There was a throwback. When do you have time to be watching tennis from the 90s when there's a Grand Slam? There's always time for the tennis (laughs) from the 90s. just popped off on Twitter and I thought, oh, I'll have a watch. (laughs) Thank you, Anna. (laughs) Thank you all for listening. Thank you, friends of the podcast, for allowing us to be here and make these shows. It's because of you that we are here in Tennis Podcast Towers with our sliver of Eiffel Tower view. Uh, We still have nine more i was going to say eight then but of course this is the 15 day slam we still have nine more daily roland garros podcasts to come and of course our review show for friends so if you'd like to become a friend of the podcast the link to do that is in our show notes sign up to the newsletter leave us an apple podcast review all that jazz and most importantly join us again tomorrow we'll speak to you then 